the recent sermons from Matthew have drawn us to this idea of radical commitment. Uh, The verse that stuck out to me during my reading, uh, the weekly reading, was this passage from Matthew 23, verses 37 and following. A very familiar passage where Jesus does the, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you in as a chicken gathers her eggs, her her chicks, as a chicken gathers her, as a hen gathers her chicks under a wing. Um, I, w- I was drawn to that for a reason, and and it turns out that that reason, sorry, is it fits with this idea of commitment that we've been talking about, because it leads us to consider and think about the radical commitment that Jesus has had all through history for his people, for us, for me. So today I want you to consider again radical commitment. And when we uh, see how radically committed Jesus is to us, I pray that we'll learn a little bit and that we will be likewise radically committed to him. So let us, uh, let us be turning to Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39. I want to read there in a second. Leading up to this, though, if, if you see, I'll read all through chapter 23. Here is, you know, Jesus is just blasting the religious leaders. You scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrite, you, you hypocrites, you vipers brood. You know, he just, he lays it to them. He is hard on them. He is very condemning for them. He exposes them for who they are and how they turn away from uh, the law that they so claim to follow and do what they want to instead of what God wants them to. So, and I put it just this way. After condemning the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy and their guilt, Jesus gives a lament over Jerusalem. And we're going to look and consider what do we learn. So these verses, Matthew 23, verse number 37 and following. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on you will not see me. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what do we learn? Um, And first of all, you know, here's the picture. uh, I, I, I didn't. Get it ready to display on the wall here for you. I figured I'd... I found a really good picture. It's on the cover of the Proclaimer. If you don't have a Proclaimer today, you got to get one because you got to see the picture. <laughs> you, see the, you see the hen there with several legs sticking out from under it. Several little tiny legs. I've never had the pleasure of seeing this in person. But when there's a threat, when there's a danger... When it's cold, when there's any kind of threat, the mother hen will take her chicks and just gather them under her wings. And you can tell 
at the front. Here is the hen has has gathered her chicks. Their their little legs sticking out under her wings. Their legs the only thing that's shown. The mother protecting her babies. Just a beautiful picture. Then Jesus says, "Oh, how I longed." All this time just to do this. I just wanted to gather you together like this. And I'd reach out and start pulling you in. And you were unwilling and you'd go your own way. But you hear in that. And the thing that caught me first about this passage was this past tense. How I wanted. How I longed. And this is after, if you'll notice in verses 34 through 60. 30, uh, 36, well, let me, let me just read there quickly. He says, therefore, for behold, I am sending you prophets. No, and here he says, I am sending you. I'm, I'm going to send them. I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth. So now he's going historic here. He's going in, into history. All the, all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So he's had just, a, just in that quick little snippet a, a history lesson you you are going to be guilty of all of the you know all the righteous blood that has been shed. He gives that little history lesson, and then he continues kind of that historical thought. He says, "How often I wanted to gather you." Kind of this picture you can see. You know, it's not how I've been in recent times longing to gather you. No, you get this picture. Jesus, through all eternity, has uh, excuse me. Through all of time, from the time of creation, every, he has longed ever since man has gone away, everything since the time that things went awry in the garden. Jesus has been there longing to gather his people together. How often I wanted to gather you together. How often I loved you and I just longed to protect you and be there for you. Jesus references his presence in Israel's past. He witnessed all of those murders from Abel to Zechariah, as we read a second ago in verse number 35. Jesus, certainly just looking at this verse, Jesus, you you can learn that he had an enduring and has an enduring love for his people. And that is the glory of God. That is the goodness of God. Jesus is on display showing us who God is. He's showing us the very heart, the very soul, the very meaning and definition of God. And that's why the scripture reading today was from Exodus 34. Back in Exodus 34, I, I get a picture of Jesus here as... Uh, being the Lord, you know, at one point in time in the one of the Corinthians, he's references, uh, he, Jesus was that rock out in the wilderness back in the time of, of Exodus here, you know, during the wanderings. But in Exodus 33 and 34, here is when Moses has come down from the mountain. 
God has already told him they're down there rebelling. They've got the, the golden calf made. They've rebelled. I just brought them out of slavery from Egypt, and now they're rebelling. This rebellious people, God is like, I'm going I'm to kill them all, and I'll start over with just you, Moses. But Moses pleads the case for the people uh, in 33. And then he says to God, if you just, well, let me see if I can find. Um, he, he says, I'll lead your people if you just show me that you're going to be with us, okay? And that's when we get to verse to chapter 34, because God has said, all right, next day I'm going to, you can't see me, but I'm going to put you, I'll take you up on the mountain, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and as I pass by, you can see, see me from behind, but you can't see me face to face or you'll die. That's all in chapter 33 there. So then we get to 34 and we see the scene. And you can't draw a picture of what Moses saw and put it in our book. (laughs) But Moses, well, actually God declares, using the best words that could possibly come close to describing him, and this is what we see. This is what we hear. Exodus 34, verse number 5 is where I'll start. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, with Moses, as he called, as Moses called on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Verse 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. And so this is what Moses hears while he's looking at the backside of God. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps his loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. The picture of God, the wonderful words of God, that it's the best thing we can have, the closest thing we can have to describing, to seeing God, save for Jesus Christ who came. And there we see God. We see these words personified. We see these words come to life. We see God, as it were, face to face. Jesus had this great and wonderful, loving, enduring love for all of his people. And Jesus is the one who exemplifies who God is. Jesus is the one who shows us that, that Exodus, what God said in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. It, those words are true. Jesus proved that God truly is love. God is truly radically committed to us. It's Jesus who was there on that mountain. That's my opinion. It's, uh, you know, it's Jesus as he says these words in, in Matthew and he says, How I long to gather you. It's him talking about through history how he's been there, how he's been the one trying to show love and trying to provide 
for his people, even in the times that they did wrong. He was the one loving and forgiving. He was the one enduring their rebellion. He was the one where they he would they would sin and end up in the the custody of some foreign land, and Jesus was the one who would come save them and gather them back and bring them back home. He was the one through all of time. You know, so you've got, if, if you look at the world being created around uh, 4,000 B.C., you've got God enduring through those thousands of years, through Thousands of years enduring people and just loving us, seeking to care for us, being the mother hen who wants to gather those chicks. Then I think of me, and perhaps you can think of you and wonder how much do I endure people? How often am I able to show this this kind of enduring love for others, even when they turn against me? Oh, it's so easy when people don't turn against us, when people when we get along, when we love one another, and when it's when we're always there for each other, when families uh, don't fight. But how often? Does somebody turn against us, somebody wrong us in some way, somebody do something just that's not really that bad, but we just don't like it, and we are instantly done with them. How easy for us is it to be to follow Jesus' example of radical commitment? Through all of time, Jesus has been there. And John tells us that he is indeed the creator. And Colossians confirms that Jesus is the one who created. He created us. And then all along the time, while we, he's, he, he has created us, he has loved us, and we constantly go away from him and do, do our own thing. But he is always there for us. His love endures and endures and endures. Even us difficult, rebellious, stiff-necked, selfish people. He's a lot different than us. And we need to learn. We need to understand that. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So go to this passage, the chapter on love, and consider Jesus being the one, being the hen who through the ages is constantly trying to gather us back. We wander away and we're running away and we're pushing him off and shoving him away. And he is trying to corral us and bring us back in where we can be safe, where we can know his love. But we push him away. But yet he shows us that love, that love, he exemplifies this, love is patient. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And that is the love of Jesus Christ. And the way it's always been. And you hear from those words when he is given this lament over Jerusalem. And we can see in in chapter 24 that he's leaving the temple then. And so it's likely, it seems, that, that this discussion that he's giving over Jerusalem, that he is is on the Temple Mount, the highest place over Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. And he was saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You people, you nation of Israel, I have always just longed and tried. I've just wanted to keep you close to me and protect you. Love you. That's what he has always done. But point number two, still from the same verse, he ends by saying, And you were unwilling. You were unwilling. Over and over and over the nation, his chosen people, they rejected the love, the care, the protection of Jesus. That he was constantly offering, constantly holding out, never giving up, always being faithful. The love of Jesus. He was radically committed through, throughout all of history. Committed to his love for his people, his creation. And then point number three, it says, this is from verse 38. Verse 38 says then, Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. And this is another way that Exodus 34 kind of rings true because after talking about his enduring love and faithfulness and his goodness and his mercy and mercy and his forgiveness and you know talking and talking how great that is he says but but I won't hold the guilty I won't let them go there will be punishment Jesus has to be just God has to be just there has to be a punishment for any deviation from his standard. And so here is the great consequence of their unwillingness to be, uh, to be protected by the shepherd, by the hen protecting its, its chicks. It's a great consequence, and he's saying, I'm going to leave you. Your house is going to be left desolate. Perhaps a reference to the house, the temple, where God was supposed to be residing, and he's saying, I'm going to be gone from that temple. I think that's most likely, but there's also this idea of a house being a line, a people, the definition of who the Jews considered who they are. You ask them who they are, and they would say, I'm the son of, son of, son of, son of this. You know, they, that's who they were. And there's this sense that, he, you know, I'm, I'm done with being with your family. There's no, I'll no longer be with you. God will leave them. A great and horrible punishment. The idea of being left desolate. 
in Jesus, you don't hear any joy in him saying this, that this is true. But he has to do it. And in verse number 39, then, we read his uh, final thoughts before leaving the temple. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, my little quick thought about that verse, because it's an interesting thing, it takes me back to the entry, his entry into Jerusalem and everything, you know, the Hosanna, Hosanna is the son of David and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, his triumphal entry as king into Jerusalem. That's already happened. And these people that he's talking to now were not the ones who were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were, they were the ones saying, you need to tell these people to stop saying it. Well, he's saying, someday you will be saying it to me. I believe this is an allusion to um, Jesus. I'm going to, hey, you don't want me? I'm going to leave you alone. I'm going to have nothing to do with you. But you will acknowledge me on that final day at the judgment scene. And you will say what you didn't say before. And it's not going to be a pretty sight or pretty conclusion for you. Jesus will leave them alone until they acknowledge him on the judgment day. And then it'll be too late. But even then, after this, and Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem, and yet he's acknowledging, especially those scribes and Pharisees, you're going to reject me? He knows they're going to kill him. They are going to murder him, put him to death unjustly. The only perfect person, the only righteous one, the only good, truly good person who has ever lived in all eternity. Throughout all of history, the only one who didn't deserve to die was this man, and they were about to put him to death. So then a couple of days later, Jesus goes to the cross, and he demonstrates his enduring love. Still, you know, longing for Jerusalem, longing for all of his people to be gathered under his wings, to be protected by him. But even more than that, for the whole world to come to him because he's saying, just come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus dies for the whole world, and it's him. It's just another act where he is going to the ultimate degree, laying down his life so that everyone would come and find rest and protection and love in him. He never, ever gives up. Jesus goes to the cross and then and demonstrates his enduring love, still hoping that even those who murder him would still come under his protecting wings. That is radical commitment. That is a commitment that no human could possibly could possibly ever replicate. It's beyond us. It's Jesus Christ throughout all of history, reaching out, showing his commitment to his creation. And we constantly going our own way, rebelling, doing things like we want to, telling God, 
uh, I'm more interested in my phone or whatever it might be than you. I'm more interested in making some money than I'm interested in you. And it's God still being there for us, just saying, no, come to me. And he goes to the cross and he dies for us. That is commitment. The commitment, the faithfulness of God. And it is far different from us. And that is why I say it is a radical commitment displayed by Jesus. And he calls us to walk in his steps and try and be like him. Consider the passage from Romans chapter 5. Um, after describing these wonderful uh, uh, attributes that God wants to create in us, the last one being hope, verse 5 says, in Romans 5, verse 5, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, having now been justified by his blood, We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And you hear just the example of Jesus again for us. Just as been, has been displayed, it was declared in, in Exodus 34, how he just keeps coming after us, how great his love and his faithfulness, his compassion and mercy, his forgiveness, it extends and extends and extends and he tries to bring us in. He's been like that always. We hear Jesus kind of declaring it when he's saying, he's saying it's true, I, I was always there trying, I was longing to gather you, to be there for you. Take you in and protect you and help you. Even when you were going your own way, I just longed, I just tried, I tried, I tried. And then Jesus goes to the cross for all the world. When we were powerless, when we were, sin- when we were enemies, when we were still sinners, selfish, whatever word you want to put in to describe us rebellious people. And Jesus went to the cross for us. It's a radical commitment. It's pointed out in the the table today that he did that. He was so committed to everyone. He did it even knowing that just a few would even say yes to him. I will follow you. Because then he, he is so radically committed and he comes along and he says, I've shown my radical commitment to you. I went to the cross for you. Will you come follow me? Will you leave everything behind and come follow me? So Jesus shows, and that's the conclusion. 
We consider him, and you consider that picture of that hen just longing to hold those chicks and protect those chicks. That's Jesus. You consider how he showed that love, how he, wanted to, how he offered that protection. It's by going to the cross and dying for us rebellious people. So Jesus shows his radical commitment to us, and how can you, how can I follow his example this week? How can I show that, all right, Jesus, I acknowledge you have, have done something great for me, and I can't even begin to duplicate what you did, but I'm going to do something for you. You died for me, so I'm going to live like one who has been died for. So what can you do this week? To be an example of Jesus. What can we do to live a life that shows we understand what he did for us? What can we do to show that we know something that the world doesn't know? That we know true love. What will we do? Because in just a little bit, you're going to get to leave and walk out those doors and live however you want to live. You get to do anything you want to this week. But Jesus is just pleading, don't leave my wings, stay with me. I just long for you to be there, to be close to me. What will you do? Will you stay close to him or will you go off and just start doing what you want to do? And if you're not... A Christian today, if you're not one who follows Christ, I just ask you to respond. I ask you to consider what we've gone through today. Consider the thoughts, just the simple fact he was always there, trying, 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 showing love, constant and enduring love. The greatest thing is love, and he shows that love. There's nothing else. God could have done in a greater way to show his love for mankind. Nothing else. If you think of anything else that God could have done and that would have shown his love for us in a greater way than what is, it, what is declared to us in the Holy Scripture, you let me know because I want to know. I can't think of a thing. I don't think it's possible. There's no greater love that has ever been displayed in all the great love stories and movies and blah, blah, blah. There's nothing else. All the good stories, they're just rip-offs of the greatest story. They're just a repeat of it. God's great love for us by dying, Him dying on the cross for the sinners. That's love. That's radical commitment. That's how committed Jesus is to each one of us and to every sinner that's walking around on this world. To every saint who's walking around here. He's committed to us. Give your life to him. Be committed to him. If anybody needs the prayers of the church, or if you need to give your life to Jesus, today is the day you can do it. Give your life to Christ. Follow him. In the name of Christ, do it today. If anybody needs to respond, won't you please come as we stand together and sing. When my Savior...